Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. In this season of Thanksgiving, we're revisiting a seminal conversation about what it means to belong in a world of relations. We are back with the leadership voice of Indigenous seed keeper, thinker, and advocate Rowan White and Gavin Horn of the Center for Humans and Nature. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. As a gardener and a human in this exact time on our planet, and in this specific time of year, a time of thankfulness and gratitude, I'm pleased to be joined today by Gavin Van Horn and Rowan White, sharing with us about a new multi-volume collection of writings entitled Kinship, Belonging in a World of Relations. It is out now from the Center for Humans and Nature. Gavin is the creative and executive director for the center, and he served as co-editor on the series with Robin Wall Kimmerer and John Hostorfer. Rowan is a seed keeper, a mother, and a farmer from the Mohawk community, as well as being a passionate advocate for indigenous seed and food sovereignty. She's the educational director and lead mentor of Sierra Seeds, an innovative indigenous seed bank and land-based educational organization located in Nevada City, California. Rowan is the founder of the Indigenous Seed Keepers Network. Her essay, Sky Woman's Garden, appears in Partners, the third volume of the Kinship series. Welcome to the program, both of you. I am just so honored to have you here with me today. I am deeply immersed in the Kinship series, and it's transformative and moving. I've got to tell you, I've been in tears and I have laughed out loud. I can only imagine that this emotional response as a starting point was exactly your intention in creating the series. So welcome. Wonderful. I I love hearing you say that, Jennifer. And um, I'm glad that that range of emotions uh, has, (laughs) that it's impacted you in that way. I would love to have the two of you speak a little more to yourselves, where you live, your your primary uh, work and life path, and to give us a sort of motivating or organizing principle to your relationship with plants, ecology, and the more than human in our world right now. And why don't we go ahead and start with you, Gavin, and then move to Rowan. So um, I'm a symbiont, uh, as we all are. Um, I'm a part-time poet, full-time writer, uh, and work for the Center for Humans and Nature. And I uh, recently, uh, with my family, moved to San Luis Obispo, uh, California. So I'm a little closer to where Rowan is now, and you, I suppose, Jennifer. Um, And I'm thrilled to be here. I was telling somebody the other day that uh, I'm kind of like Maria and the sound of music spinning through the hills. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm exploring these uh, coastal nooks and crannies and coves and the golden hills that are now turning green and which is incredible to watch that Mm -hmm. transformation and what I would typically consider to be coming on winter and I suppose you know when I talk about you know when you ask about the motivating uh, essence or our connection to the more than human world um, what first came up for me is I'm getting to know a place that is relatively new to me And so when we talk about making kin or um, becoming better kin, I'm at that introductory stage of relationship where, um, you know, I'm getting to know the sea otters and the pelicans Mm. and the um, uh, coyotes and the rocks themselves here in this central coast area and the stories, you know, and the, the people that are still here and the ancestral people, the Chumash that have been here. And, you know, as I reread Rowan's essay before we were to speak today, I was reminded of the way that how integrated the cycles of gardening are with the the stars, the the planets, the calendar. It's a cosmological garden she's she's speaking to. Um, I'm not there yet, 
I'm still getting to know, you know, these stories and, uh, and the ways that they can be integrated with the practical things of my life. So um, after this initial contact, you know, I think the next steps are increasing that familiarity, showing respect, you know, the pleases and the thank yous of, of gratitude and building those kinship uh, relationships. Mm, nice, nice, beautiful. And what about you, Rowan? Oh, um, I greeted you in my ancestral language of Mohawk. Um, I shared with you my um, my traditional name. My English name is Rowan White, but my Mohawk name means she carries the snow. And my grandmother gave me that name um, because I was born into a swirling blizzard in the October of 1979. <laughs> and I always think about that because we have a tradition in my um, from my my ancestral people. Um, to to gift um, our babies the names of sort of the phenomena that's happening around at the time of their birth. Um, I'm a seed keeper and a mother, uh, a land steward, a storyteller, and really a, a student of belonging, you know, a student of, of that, you know, way of rekindling connection, rehydrating connection to um, the kinship that are kind of always holding us and we sometimes forget in the, in the, mm in sort of the glaze of this modern world. I often talk about how I've apprenticed myself to the plants themselves, the seeds, the land. And they have taken me through a very unconventional rites of passage in finding my way home, really finding my way home to the ancestral hearth, to the ancestral garden, to this um, cosmo genealogical garden that Gavin referenced. And that really is held within the pages of this kinship um, book series, right? Yeah. I currently reside in um, a tiny little town called North San Juan, which is part of the San Juan Ridge in the Sierra foothills. Um, and I am a guest there, the the original inhabitants of that land and the living descendants are um, Nisanon people and also the mountain Maidu. Mm -hmm. And we've been on this piece of land for about 15 years and have been deepening into our connection and relationship to those seen and unseen who nourish and support us in our life ways um, at our seed bank at Sierra Seeds. And yeah, I feel really honored and grateful to have been invited to contribute to this beautiful um, series. And I was called a love poem. It's like a love yeah. poem to um, this beautiful life that we are are so grateful to be a part of. Yeah, I, I think a love poem is uh, uh, in the most epic uh, and <laughs> long form ways at 800 pages. Uh, the series is, mm -hmm. I, I was trying to describe it to somebody and I said, it's not the kind of thing you're going to read cover to cover. It, it is like a lot of good meals lined up against each other and you have to just take a bite at a time and let it digest and kind of sit with you for a while. I have not gotten through every single essay, but I have made a very good start of, of this process of imbibing and digesting and hopefully absorbing um, some of these words. So I would love, David, for you to get us started by reading our poet laureate Joy Harjo's poem, Remember. It's the first entry in the first volume of the series. Yeah, and I should preface this by saying it's, it's just a real honor to read Joy Harjo's words out loud, which I think is how poetry should be read and heard. This is, poem is called Remember by Joy Harjo. Remember the sky you were born under. Know each of the stars' stories. Remember the moon. Know who she is. Remember the sun's birth at dawn. That is the strongest point of time. Remember sundown and the giving away tonight. Remember your birth, how your mother struggled to give you form and breath. You are evidence of her life and her mother's and hers. Remember your father, he is your life also. Remember the earth whose skin you are, red earth, black earth, yellow earth, white earth, brown earth, we are earth. Remember the plants, 
trees, animal life, who all have their tribes, their families, their histories too. Talk to them, listen to them. They are alive poems. Remember the wind, remember her voice. She knows the origin of this universe. Remember you are all people and all people are you. Remember you are this universe and this universe is you. Remember all is in motion, is growing, is you. Remember language comes from this. Remember the dance language is, that life is. Remember. Thank you very much. So the Kinship Series is a project of the Center for Humans and Nature. I would love to have you, Gavin, talk a little bit about the Center for Humans and Nature, what it is, where it is, its mission, a little bit about its history, and then we'll move into the process and the kind of creation story for the series itself. Sure, I'm happy to. So the Center for Humans and Nature was founded by a biophilosopher named Strom Donnelly. He worked for a bioethics mm -hmm. institute and um, became increasingly frustrated that they were treating the human body as though it were separate from the larger matrix, the environmental matrix of which it was a part that our health in many ways depends on all these relationships, all these kin relationships. But in the medical world, they were treating the body in isolation. And so he founded the Center for Humans and Nature with that bigger picture perspective. And when I think about the center, we sort of occupy a, a very unique space, an interesting niche that is a kind of hybrid between kind of academic leaning material and artivist, you know, um, you know, leaning material. And, um, and the combination of those two things is, uh, I think, found in the phrase that I use sometimes when I'm, I have my editorial hat on and I'm talking to contributors like Rowan, I say, tell a good story. You know, don't drown us in footnotes. <laughs> Give us something that's emotionally impacting where people can see themselves in empathically into your story. And so that's what we uh, did in these volumes, but that's what we do with our other materials on the Center for Humans and Nature website. We try to create a circle of conversation and conviviality where people can explore these big questions about our relationships and responsibilities to the natural world. And so this project grew out of that mission. Yeah. And so... The story of the beginning of this, uh, this collaboration, this long form love poem to the world is told a little bit in the acknowledgements, but would you, would you take us back to the, the gathering that ultimately coalesced into this, we're going to do this project. And, at, and in the beginning, it, it looked one way in your hearts and minds and dreams. And as life has a way of doing, it, it, it morphed a little bit as it, as it grew yeah, and that's evolved. That's true. And I, I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad you brought <laughs> that up because there is something really beautiful about the organic way that it, and the freedom that we had to let it go where it needed to go. But the initial idea was inspired mm -hmm. by all the talk we were hearing about and that I was tuning into about personhood being a concept that goes beyond the human. Uh, in other words, hu humans and persons are not equivalent, that there are non-human persons of many different kinds. And that's a way of looking at the world as though it has an active subjectivity and agency that we need to honor and respect and learn how to adapt ourselves to and work with. So the big story of the day, I think this is back in 2017, was that the Whanganui River and, and Aotearoa, mm -hmm. New Zealand, received legal personhood, recognized as a legal entity, living entity and would be responsibly um, taken care of and stewarded by the Maori people that uh, were in that watershed 
and the New, New Zealand government. Now, other personhood big cases had happened before this, but for some reason, this one in particular really struck a chord around the world. And other countries started to model their own judgments and legal decisions on this, on this case. And with that idea of non-human personhood, we began to think about what are some some ways into this topic and this larger idea of kinship, this umbrella of kinship sort of included that personhood, some of the language revolution going on with Robin uh, Wall Kimmer talking about key instead of pronouns that we are used to using for other uh, non-human beings that are often objects, you know, it. Mm-hmm. And then this idea of concentric ecology that Enrique Salmon has promoted uh, the idea that we as human beings can be, that we can mutually flourish with our landscapes based on how we work with that landscape, that we're not a defiling force necessarily, but actually cultures for millennia have been increasing the relational, uh, one manifestation of that that's kind of a, a scientific word is biodiversity of their places. Yeah. So then in at the Center for Humans and Nature, if we have one of these ideas or projects that we want to tackle. We usually have a small gathering of people to get people together face-to-face back in the time where we could do that. (laughs) Hopefully we'll be able to do that again soon. So we had this smaller gathering of people um, to kick around ideas, to talk about, you know, their perspectives and how kinship manifested in their work and lives. And out of that meeting, we started to think about now, what does this look like when we put this out into the world. And one of those manifestations was how do we do a, 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 a book, you know, and at the beginning it was a book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then that over time, as I was put in contact with different poets and other writers and, um, and our editors, uh, that people were going to have editing this uh, became clear. Um, and they gathered people from their communities pretty soon, sort of like the bean plant that Rowan describes in her essay, we right. had a, an intertwining, <laughs> overlapping group of people and topics that all seemed incredibly important to this. And we didn't want to limit it to one book. No. And it wouldn't let you. And it wouldn't let us. Yeah. Or they, they wouldn't let you. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. And so it was, then it was like, well, so what form does this take? And uh, right. and and it really came together and then and, in a really beautiful way. This is Cultivating Place. In this season of communal gathering and thankfulness, at the end of the growing season in the Northern Hemisphere, we're speaking today with writer Gavin Van Horn and seed keeper and writer Rowan White. They are editor and contributor, respectively, to the new multi-volume series entitled Kinship, Belonging in a World of Relations. It is all about growing together in this world. We'll be right back after a break. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Belonging. Kinship. Belonging in a world of relations. I love this title and I love everything it brings to mind because one of the things it brings to mind is that it's in my garden with the lives there, the many systems of living involved in my garden that I feel most at home, that I feel like I belong very firmly and very productively and kindly in this web of relationship that is planet Earth. What about you? Where do you feel that greatest sense of belonging? Is it in the garden also? Mm 
We're back now to our conversation with Gavin Van Horn and Rowan White, speaking with us about the new multi-volume series entitled Kinship, Belonging in a World of Relations. As we come back, seed keeper, mother, advocate, and educator Rowan White shares with us more about her experience being a contributor to this gathering of passionate and caring voices from around the world, all working together to remind us as humans of our relationship, rightful place of belonging within and responsibility to the entire web of life here on earth. Well, I received correspondence from my friend Robin Wallkimmerer giving an invitation um, to be a part of this wonderful endeavor. And that was, I think, in 2019. And, you know, I was an enthusiastic yes, like right from the get-go, you know, knowing, you know, Robin and her incredible work and, you know, all that she touches and all that she does has been so impactful on this Um, emergence of this culture of belonging and everybody understanding how vitally important it is at this confluence that we find ourselves in. And so, um, but then seeing um, some of the list of some of the other invited contributors, um, Enrique uh, Salmon is a mentor of mine from when I was 18 and 19, Um, a dear friend, Linda Hogan, um, you know, various people who are just so incredible. And so I think my enthusiasm grew and grew. My dear friend, uh, Diane Wilson, who's an incredible um, author and thought leader. And so, you know, that was, you know, the initial um, invitation. And I felt so honored to have my voice be included in in this, you know, weaving of this tapestry. And as we all know, um, there a lot happened from um, if we wind the clocks back yeah. from now until 2019, we yeah. had a global pandemic happen. And so it seemed like there was this like slow simmer. And, you know, in in my work as a seed person, we have this in Anishinaabe, there's this seed song that says, Maji ishka, maji ishka, mani dumines, ashkena minubmana dezawin. And it, and it, it means come in your own time, sacred seed, right? And so I felt like this book kind of was coming in its own time, right? It was gestating mm-hmm. and bubbling in, in the right time. And I feel as though as we've watched um, it gestate and we've all made our wonderful contributions to be able to see it be birthed out in this moment and in this time where we are so desperately needing these voices and this mm-hmm. love love mm-hmm. poem, I think... Um, there it feels like there was something unseen that was sort of orchestrating uh, the mm-hmm. right time for this this series to emerge. And so I do feel very grateful to be a part of its gestation and birth and um, to have it be something that we can gift down to our descendants who will remember those of us who are alive at this time, who are honoring that lineage of ancestors who came before us and said that we do not forget. We do not forget that in every moment we are held with this exquisite web of kinship. And while many people in this time have forgotten and have, you know, are blind to um, that understanding that there's a group of visionaries and dreamers and, um, and stewards who continue to remind those of us around um, the circle that we are held in that web of kinship. Yeah. You just gave me goosebumps, but the, you know, I think one of the things that is so powerful for me uh, as someone reading it from the outside, as somebody from a, a European colonizing lineage myself, that the range of voices and the, the range of approaches to this exact same topic from this many different voices allows for so many access points that you literally, I don't think anybody could feel excluded from what the this choir of voices altogether is asking from us as humanity, uh, because it's just so non-linear, non-categorizable. Uh, there are all kinds of humans who are including their voices here, that there is an access point for everybody. There's someone in this that is speaking right to you and an experience that you will recognize and bringing you into this, this, basically it's a, 
as a love poem, it is also a, a plea and a demand and a prayer for changing how we see, how we relate. And so, you know, for those of us who might identify as having come from lineages that absolutely did forget and or, you know, cultures that also forced other forgetting or erasure, there's no exclusion there. There is join now, start now, remember now, learn more now. Like there was a moment in Robin's, uh, Robin Wall Kimmer's piece about family reunion toward the end of time or the end of the world. It's such a beautiful scene where there is uh, all these family members of all kinds. So trees and grasses and raccoons and squirrels and all the aunties, she calls them. And um, they're all together for this family reunion where they're having this big picnic and they start like there starts to be some talk of, well, you did this or you did that or you didn't do this. And she said, no, the, the, uh, another set of voices comes in and said, no, you know, there might be reason for shame, but let's take shame away right now. Let's just all please sit at this table and find a better path forward. And like, I really was just weeping at this scene with the like squirrels and the raccoons and the trees and the, the, the welcome, even if there might be feelings of you shouldn't be welcome here. Can I just add something there, which is that I think what this is, is an embodied invitation Yeah. because this work is for all of us to do, right? Yeah. Not any one of us is excluded from this work. And there is not one person who is untouched by the grief of disconnection of the dominant culture of this time. Yeah. And so what I find so compelling about this beautiful cacophony, this beautiful mm. medley and, and, you know, like this mycelial web of, of contributions is that it mirrors what we see is possible into the future, yeah. which is that we need all of us. We need the diversity of connections and language and, and worldviews and cosmologies. And we need those of, you know, you who are reading the book who may have live in a diaspora of disconnection and, and not understanding who you are or where you come from, that we, we need all of you to begin to find whatever compelling pathway it is to bring you back home again. And, and so there's no way that we can move forward towards that beautiful, vibrant vision of what's possible in the future if we're not all a part of this work, right? Yeah. We can't all, you know, and many of us, especially in indigenous and in bodies of culture communities, we feel like we've been shouldering the weight, right? Of, yes. of trying to steer this, you know, proverbial ship in the right direction. Um, but what we need is for people to pick up this book and, and have that um, permission to feel the spectrum of emotions and to feel invited um, it, into the circle to begin to do the work, right? Yeah. And it's yes. not work of any one of us. It's all of us together metabolizing, you know, composting all the past failures and beginning to to move in that right direction. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. And, um, you know, and for me, it's, it, for me always, it has been the access point is the garden. It is, that is where I meet the birds and the insects and the plants and I learn their lives and they teach me and I find this culture of belonging right there. And that then is an access point for how do I, how do I take that and expand it and make it available to as many people as possible through that portal. I, I think that is important because I think so many people aren't sure where their access point is because they have been so closed off to us by our dominant culture. I think the garden is a great place to start, Jennifer. Yeah. Garden is in some way a microcosm of our relationship to the larger natural world. And you can see that reflected in how different folks structure their gardens. Yes. Some are much more controlling and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are, but of course there are many different models. One of them being Rowan's uh, essay provides a wonderful model. There's also a contributor in our book who lives in Aotearoa, New Zealand, Matt Hall, who yeah. is in the practice section and talks about how his garden has become his mediated way of 
making kin, of, of performing small acts of ritual. So I think what you're talking about, you know, sometimes we can feel overwhelmed. Where do I start? What do I do? How do I address this grief or this, you know, or this, um, this love that I have for the, you know, the, the planet? And it doesn't have to be these huge gestures, you know, right, it can be right. these very small acts of ritual in the garden of just breathing and, 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 and knowing that you are exchanging in your very breath with the plants, you know, you are an ongoing exchange. This is not an abstract, you know, mm -hmm. thing. This is your very life depends on the breath that they give and you're giving back. There's a reciprocity there. Matt has been a guest on the program, um, as have it, certainly listeners uh, are not going to be unfamiliar with this existential look at at how and why gardening can be a an, a space, an agent, and relationship of positive change. And that is, you know, every single page of these volumes. So ultimately, it grew up into this wonderful, wonderful gift of five volumes. Will you walk us through the five volumes, what each volume is speaking to, and why that was an important cosmology for the series? So yeah, five volumes, and we organize these roughly by scale of relationship. So starting with planet and the cosmos, like our sort of our relationship to um, these large scale forces and the wildness uh, that we find ourselves immersed in. And that also the connection there that we are made of stardust, you know, as, as Joni Mitchell once said, and others have said, <laughs> um, and so from planet, we go to place, we zoom into the bioregion, the places that define us, the places that the stories that are inherent in place um, and the kin folk that we share those places with. And then it's partners. Um, that is who are the, uh, the non-human um, other than human kin that we find ourselves relating to uh, most most frequently or most often the depth of relationship to those partners that we work with. And that's why I think Rowan's piece fits so well. And the, she's working with these storied uh, relationships and these beings in, in her garden, partnering with those beings. Um, and then we move to persons where it gets more individual, you know, uh, instead of just, you know, uh, you know, each of us uh, has specific experiences in our lives that define uh, how we think of the others around us. And so there are very particular, very intimate relationships that we might have as individuals. And we wanted to lift those, those relationships up. And then lastly, we end our collection with practice, you know, the ethics, the on the ground, uh, when we, uh, when we think about kinship, we didn't want to leave it in an abstract realm. We wanted to say, what are these different ways that people um, find themselves building and growing and deepening their relationships? Um, what are some of the practical ways that that manifests uh, to really give readers of the, the volumes some ideas in their own life where they could say, oh, that, yeah, I, I recognize that already, or I hadn't thought of that, you know, as a practice of kinship. Yeah. I also would love to just um, echo in that these volumes also offer an invitation of practice for those who are reading because there's been, when we were initially invited to contribute, there was a beautiful series of questions that were offered to us to sort of help us to frame our own essays and contributions. And I, I would like to think that perhaps in the larger community, as these um, volumes go out in the world, that perhaps those same questions might um, spawn or um, sprout new essays or journal entries that those of you who are reading the, the volumes might engage that same inquiry yourself, right? They were, it was really powerful and compelling to sit with the questions asked of the editors and, um, and to really be present with those. And, and it's a transformative practice in and of itself to be thinking deeply about what does kinship mean in our lives. 
This is Cultivating Place. In this season of communal gathering and thankfulness, at the end of the growing season in the Northern Hemisphere, we're speaking with writer Gavin Van Horn and seed keeper and writer Rowan White. They are editor and contributor, respectively, to the new multi-volume series entitled Kinship, Belonging in a World of Relations. We'll be right back for more after a break. Stay with us. So thinking out loud this week, you know, I'm thinking of the range of form that I am hearing in this book about kinship, belonging in a world of relations. And I'm thinking about this diversity of form, not only in the lives of our planet, but in the gardens we love, in the words we are drawn to. Diversity and range in forms of love, in forms of art and in gardeners in this world. We all have a role and we all have our own way. And there is nothing more beautiful than a fully representative diversity of lives, of gardens, of gardeners. I am so happy to be here with all of you. We're back now to our conversation with Gavin Van Horn and Rowan White, speaking about their participation in kinship, belonging in a world of relations. As we come back, Gavin shares more about why it was important for him to begin the series with Joy Harjo's poem, Remember. He shares more about the concept of kinning, and Rowan reads from her essay, Sky Woman's Garden. I wanted to lead that the series off with that poem. It's come up here today already several times, the idea that we've forgotten. Well, that poem is called Remember. And remembrance is its key in Rowan's essay. It's key in Robin's essay. It's, it's a key piece throughout the volumes, this idea that, that there has been this cultural amnesia that has occurred and that we, uh, part of our task, of part of the kinning process is remembering, that's recalling past stories, but it's also re-knitting our, bod- our bodies, yeah. our psyches, our spirits within the land again. And her poem just kicks it off, you know, a kind of- Perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> and and that juxtaposition of remembering versus dismembering is is just so stark uh, a contrast. And um, you know, and I, I think about that in the garden actually, this this importance of like reintegrating myself on a personal basis just into um, all that is bigger than me that I rely upon. And so with that, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to ask very politely if Rowan would be willing to read a bit from Sky Woman's Garden, uh, which comes a little bit towards the end of volume three, Partners. And and I will say that while practice is the final volume, as Rowan already pointed out, there is practice in every one of these words put together throughout all of these volumes, there are there are models and invitations and permissions for practice. Great. Um, so I'll read a passage from Sky Woman's Garden. There in the garden, close to the living, breathing, pulsating earth, I found the headwaters of my breath again, tuning my senses to notice the million tiny miracles of expressions of life all around me the countless ways Mother Earth sings her songs, tracks of little paws in the dry red clay dust, tiny little fuzzy nascent watermelon fruits clinging delicately to the vines, the sensuous way beans were dancing counterclockwise around the corn stalks, bean leaves sticking to my shirt like Velcro, the fine little hairs around the edges of each leaf and stem, the cool exhale of plant stomata breathing beetles making funny little clicking noises as they meandered, the crackling static song of the hummingbird perched in the nearby pine. We shared the same breath and I felt in the earth of my body, 
that the same essence that animates these beings all around me courses inside of me, connecting us in kinship. There I was, sitting close to my beloved Mother Earth, Yakanista Aohunja in our Mohawk language, in all her aliveness underneath the foliage of my three sisters' garden, planted with seeds entrusted to me by my elders, some of whom who are now ancestors. I had this profoundly familiar, visceral remembrance that this too was Sky Woman's garden. For as our elders tell us in our stories and ceremonies, our creation stories never ended. These timeless stories continue to unfurl each and every season as we renew our ceremonial bundles and plant the seeds and sing the very same songs that Sky Woman and her daughter sang when they first came to this place we now know of as Turtle Island. Here in my own garden, I was once again woven into these cosmologies as I tended these tiny sprouts, which in our mutual dance of reciprocity and care has become corn, still springing from the bosom of our mother earth, basketfuls of beans gifted to us by her benevolent extended hands, voluptuous squash fruits that spiral from the umbilicus of the earth. These relationships, these interwoven stories still reside in the very ground beneath my feet and the earth of my own body. Her generosity springing forth with every handful of seeds that she offers for our nourishment as we do our best to make our lives love poems and ensure that the ancestral bundle of seeds and stories that we've been handed is more beautiful and magnificent as we hand it down to the next generations. Beautiful. And that is exactly the passage I highlighted in, in the book, Rowan. That moment when you share that revelation, like this is Sky Woman's garden. And, you know, just uh, that, it's, that it's all around us and we are all able to contribute and, and help grow it is a really powerful revelation on an everyday basis. Well, and, and it was a really powerful revelation for myself as yeah. a young Indigenous woman, really trying to break the cycles of intergenerational trauma and to remember um, that those pathways are still there for us, that those stories are still unfurling around us at any one moment in time. And so I think that, again, is an invitation for all of us, that we all descend from people who have these beautiful um stories and cosmologies that are held inside of our ancestral foods and seeds. And that's why the garden and food and seed in general is such a, an incredible um, healing agent or, you know, healer in and of itself, because those foods and seeds go inside our body and, and they allow us to be present and allow us to access those like nascent dormant seeds of memory and of, of, of cultural right. understanding um, that never went away. They just went dormant, right? They're just sort of hiding in the earth of our body. And so for me being in that garden and over time recognizing, oh, it's all here. Here are all my teachers. Here's this council of wise beings who never did forget me. And for all of those of us who continue to eat every day, they never forget their, they never forgot, got their um, promise to us to feed and nourish us. So how do we find our way, you know, back in? And so that becomes a practice, like finding the headwaters of my breath inside the tangle of the garden. No, no matter if there were fires, you know, crazy fires this last season, or, you know, whatever stress points I have in my life, if I start to get, you know, ungrounded or uncentered, I can climb back into the sanctuary of my garden, find that headwaters of my breath and remember what a miracle it all is and, and what a tiny snapshot of time we yeah. get to be here and enjoy it. Yes. So Gavin, I have to ask you as the editor, as the co-editor of three of this volume, what was the experience like having essays of this power or, or poems or interviews of this level of personal meaning and communal profundity come into you on a daily basis. There is this beautiful image of all of those voices raised all around the world. Yeah, well, it was special. 
know, you mentioned sort of timing and the affirmation of this, mm -hmm. this moment somehow being right for this. And, you know, one of the unique things that happened when I, when I stepped back to kind of structure how the essays and poems would, and interviews would fall mm -hmm. together, um, is that things, I don't want to make it sound like just totally seamless, but they more or less fell into place. The order sort of spoke to the flow of these voices. And that's kind of strange when you think about the disparate geographies mm. the, that you mentioned and, the, and the, the disparate cultures that people are coming from and the way that things more or less clicked into place I felt like was a kind of affirmation to see uh, all these different perspectives and the power with which people were speaking to these personal experiences. In some ways, there's like a, I always like to think of all the, the beings seen and unseen that allow that synergy that you're speaking to Gavin, right? And imagining that there's a muse that was sort of perhaps whispering to each and every one of us who was you know, writing in our own corners, especially as the pandemic, you know, was falling, you know, into, you know, into place. So I love thinking that somehow there was some little beings unseen sort of helping to stitch it all together. <laughs> yeah. To just continue with our, our metaphor, because it's, I think, apt, this soil was being prepared for so many years by all of these voices. Like it didn't, this didn't come together seamlessly for no reason. It was because every one of these voices was already at work, including the two of your voices. I mean, Rowan, you've been an inspiration and a role model mentor of sorts to me and thousands of others for many years with your writing, your physical work of seed keeping, your teachings, your ethos. Every one of these voices was already at work to make the world better, to have to ask everyone around them and everything around them and every being to rethink and review and remember and to see them all start to come together in this this collection of voices. And, and there are others, you know, it feels very exciting right here in my sternum that, you know, that this germination is not just one germination. I mean, to, to use the work of Rowan, you know, it is that all of these seeds were out there and they are all germinating at the same time because that soil was prepared. And it landed in a time, I think, when maybe humans not only are desperate for it, but are actually ready to hear it. They are ready to receive it. I mean, I don't know of a gardener who does not want to believe that his or her or their work in the garden and relationship with the garden can't help meet some of these incredible needs, like cultural, environmental, economic, you know, individual well-being. Like there are ways we can contribute. And as gardeners in, in my audience, um, those people who are called to cultivate plants and, and have them in their life for whatever reason, because we were built that way, I know they want this greater purpose. Well, there's an interesting there's an interesting place because as someone who sees myself as a storyteller and someone who chronicles these times that we live in, I actually have a quote that I have right here above my desk um, by Leslie Marmon Silko, who's been such an inspiration, uh, and um, yeah. and she says, as with any generation, the oral or, or written tradition depends upon each person listening and remembering a portion. And it is together, all of us remembering what we've heard together that creates the whole story, the long story of the people. I remember only a small part, but this is what I remember. And I feel as though that was sort of the, the, the spirit, I think, of these, of these volumes coming together is that each one of us contributors sat around a circle and said, here's what I'm remembering. Here's a little small piece of the bigger, of the bigger long story. And when they, when they are woven together, what an incredible mirror of the benevolence and generosity of the earth that ha that holds us in that creativity. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That's so well said. And I, you know, it's funny because we seem as human beings to be drawn to an individual voice, but there's, there is something very special about having an edited volume where you do have that 
each person, as Ron said, having a piece of the story and you get to see all those in one place, the way that they amplify and magnify one another uh, as they sit on the page close to one another. You know, there is something special about that that is uh, very difficult to duplicate if you just have a single author, you know, volume. Well, and I think that the, the medicine of this times is that we need to celebrate that interdependence, right? Like that is what this series is celebrating is that interdependence. And I think in a culture that has been so heavily conditioned towards individual thought leadership and individual voices and opinions, and in a time where there's so much divisiveness, you know, um, across ideological gaps, um, that the fact that this book does uh, celebrate that interdependence and express it so beautifully, I think is really appropriate for the times we're in. Very, very. In conclusion with the two of you for whom I am so appreciative of your time and presence with me today, is there anything you would like to add about your, your greatest hopes for, for this world and this work helping to support that? I guess I'll just offer that, you know, it's my, it's my prayer for each and every one of you who are listening and for each and every one of you who pick up these volumes at the right time in your life. It's my prayer that you feel the rehydration of those seeds of memory inside the earth of your body and that in whatever way feels in alignment that you feel that your voice is also needed as a part of this larger conversation of kinning, of, of kinship, of reweaving that web. Um, and so you know, no matter where in the diaspora you are, um, perhaps this will be a trellis of hope for you um, as you engage that deep, deep remembering. Thank you. Thank you. In my essay, I talk about walking barefoot as a practice of being skin to skin with the earth and receiving and having to slow down in order to do that and becoming more receptive. And this past weekend, I visited for the first time Point Lobos out in the Big Sur area of California. And it was completely overwhelming um, how stunningly beautiful um, that coastline is like to the point where my you know tears welled in my eyes you know a few times and I had to be like past people on the trail and kind of like you know like look away because <laughs> I didn't want to be the guy that was you know crying on the trail um but uh <laughs> back to the barefoot point I realized as I was looking out on that um on the ocean and it's vivid aquamarine, you know, uh, sapphire blues and, and greens, um, that I was taking it in as I would almost like a movie. There was something off. I was reaching out with my eyes and sort of, there's a sort of, uh, in a sort of one-way gaze, you know, uh, grasping. And I actively tried to reverse that direction. And instead of reaching out, become receptive to what was coming in. And when you think about our senses, our ears, our nose, our mouth, those are all designed to take in the world, our skin itself, you know, the wind across our skin. Um, and when I did that, it was a whole different experience um, of becoming receptive to the world rather than reaching out for the kind of beautiful, you know, capture of, as you would a photograph maybe. And that's just a thought about kinship practice, you know, um, to think about receiving what we're receiving constantly. And if we can kind of turn off the mind chatter and the, the, the gaze, you know, that reaches out and, and, and receive and understand that kind of, uh, listening is a big part of these volumes and um, 
I think there's a reason that that gets repeated. You know, that's how we, we become kin in conversation with others. And that means that we're not just in a monologue with the world. We're also receiving and we have, we have to listen to receive. Um, so I say that you ask uh, Jennifer what our hope is and, and um, you know, books are a focusing device. They're a lens, you know, and they're good for that. But then after that, what's the life after the book? You know, how do we take that practice out into our daily lives? So that's uh, one thing I sort of offer from my own experience. But I also like the idea of people, you know, maybe there are kinship practice groups that emerge, you know, where people can <laughs> share their experiences. Um, at early point in the, in the book's uh, uh, genesis, Robin, uh, Robin Wall Kimmer and I, talked about maybe there should be a global kinship day where people are celebrating these relationships to their kin, you know, whether through it's, you know, through dance or performance or weaving or, uh, you know, pottery or song, you know, uh, or just storytelling or reading a poetry or whatever it is. But I think, I think that uh, that struck a chord with me because I like the idea of Kinship is a celebration too. There's, there's grief involved because there's grief involved when we love things and we see them harmed um, and we feel that loss and we should feel that, but there's also celebration and play. And so maybe that's where I wanna sort of end that thought with is how do you best, how can you celebrate your kin? It's like pleasure activism, you know, it's like that, that concept of, of really engaging our senses in a joyful way. Thank you both so much for being guests on the program today and for your parts of these stories and this whole long story in this garden of a world. So I'm just really appreciative of your time and your voices. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both. It Thanks for really having us. Rejuvenating moment of my day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now out to the garden. I want to end this episode about family, family gatherings, and familial healing with Gavin reading an excerpt from his introduction to the entire kinship series. The words in this kinship web gesture beautifully toward the relations, vital, wild processes that are always present, yet not always visible. Because these relations may be difficult to apprehend, it may seem as though the world is merely a collection of inert objects full of nouns. You are you, I am me, that bird at the feeder is sadly referred to as it. Earth is a verb, all is in motion, all is relating. These kinship volumes, because of their subject matter, challenge this object obsession at its core. The voices in these volumes point us toward an alternative perspective. Kinship as a verb. Perhaps this kinship in action should be called kinning. Humans are born kin in any number of ways, but the words in this kinship anthology collectively express something more than birthright claims. They point toward how it is possible to become kin. In this understanding, being kin is not so much a given as it is an intentional process. Kinning doesn't, does not depend upon genetic codes. Rather, it is cultivated by humans as one expression of life among many, many, many others. And it revolves around an ethical question, how to rightly relate. We are kinning as we reconnect our bodies, minds, and spirits within a world that is not merely a collection of objects, but a communion of subjects, as Thomas Berry put it. The essays and poetry in, this in these volumes at different scales and in different geographies show possibilities for becoming better kin, more receptive to the languages of others, especially non-human others, and better listeners to their stories, which reach out to us through place and time. This vibrant world, as well as these volumes, offer invitations for kinning, practices of belonging with and amid our fellow earthly kin.
Gavin Van Horn is the creative director and executive director for the Center for Humans in Nature. He served as co-editor on the Kinship series with Robin Wall Kimmerer and John Hostorfer. Rowan White is a seed keeper, a mother, and a farmer from the Mohawk community, as well as being a passionate advocate for indigenous seed and food sovereignty. She's the educational director and lead mentor of Sierra Seeds, an innovative indigenous seed bank and land-based educational organization located in Nevada City. Her essay, Sky Woman's Garden, appears in Partners, the title of the third volume of the five-volume Kinship series. Join us again next week when, as our northern hemisphere gardens and landscapes settle into whatever their annual dormancy and winter rest might be, we head to the southern hemisphere in conversation with Australian plantswoman Jack Semler. Her new book, Super Bloom, gives us so much to dream about. Join us. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you, through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Thank you in advance for your support, and thank you as well for your continued gift of listening. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Angel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by Doulis Transcription, and we welcome to the team Deanna Newpert and Matt Valiga, helping out with communication. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating places distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.